following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from LifePoint Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Matthew chapter 7 today. Matthew chapter 7, if you were in Sunday school this morning, uh, Gary uh, complimented what I'm going to say well. He, he started in, and I'm like, oh boy, I hope he doesn't say something different than I'm going to say. And uh, so we're going to be in some of the same texts in this service that we were in adult Sunday school this morning, and, and I think they'll uh, complement each other well. So our text today is Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, and so let's go ahead and read these verses. Jesus says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Uh, There may be no verse in the Bible uh, that gets more abused and more misquoted than Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, right? So, we've all had, probably all had this sort of experience. Maybe, uh, for example, you're at a family reunion, and you're talking to your family, and and you maybe begin to lament some uh, some conservative or some someone that you know that grew up in a Christian family and and grew up under the sound of the gospel and and they've you know made some poor choices and and you're talking about that and and then your cousin who's not a Christian smugly looks at you and says, "Did you forget the verse in the Bible that says, "Do not judge so that you may not be judged?" And it's sort of like this trump card that they hold up that says you're not allowed to criticize or say anything bad about anyone else, and they think that they have totally put you in your place because they quoted Jesus to you. And uh, sadly, Christian, it's not just unbelievers that misquote this verse. Christians do it too. You know, the moment someone challenges a, a Christian's position on a, very, on a particular issue, you know, they throw this back at you. Don't judge me. Jesus said, do not judge. And it's a very way of basically saying, stay out of my business, and don't you dare confront the way I live my life. And, um, and in a society like ours, where, where we value, where our society values moral relativism, individual autonomy, and we assume that we have the right to complete privacy, no one has a right to get into my life in a way that I don't approve. In a society like that, this verse has become a weapon for justifying life without accountability or consequence. But we're going to see today that that's not what Jesus intended. And it's important that we correct that. But, but I think as well, you know, with a passage like this, for, for conservative people like this, it's easy for us to focus all of our energy on, on what Jesus does not mean. But we also need to recognize that Jesus is making a very important point in this passage. That especially conservative people like us who are committed to holiness and truth and discernment, that that we need to hear what Jesus says because he does give us a a very important challenge. So with that in mind, 
Uh, The basic challenge of this text, I'll I'll summarize it here at the beginning, is to say that Jesus is challenging us to judge, but to do so with grace, as we'll see in verses 1 and 2, and with humility in verses 3 through 5. So the first challenge of this text is that you should judge with the grace that you want God to show you. Judge with the grace that you want God to show you. So so the command uh, that Jesus gives in this passage there in verse 1 again is do not judge. Now, now this command is is an important command, and it's the foundation of everything that Jesus is going to go on to say in, in these five verses. But as I already said, this is a verse that lots of people misunderstand and misapply. So, so we want to start today by asking, what exactly does Jesus mean? And first of all, let's talk about what Jesus does not mean. All right. So first of all, Jesus does not mean that truth and morality are relative. Now, now our society wants to believe that there is no ultimate truth and no ultimate morality. So, they want, and therefore, they want to believe that Jesus is teaching, do not judge, because there is no ultimate standard of judgment. You can just kind of make up your own truth, make up your own morality. So, so everyone's personal truth, have you heard that phrase before? My personal truth, my personal morality, they're all equally valid because Jesus said don't judge. So if you impose your beliefs or you call me to to faithfulness to the Scripture, that's oppression. Now, I suppose if this were the only thing that Jesus ever said, someone might be able to draw that conclusion. But it's not, is it? And Jesus makes a lot of truth claims right here in the Sermon on the Mount. And he also makes a lot of moral declarations about what is right and, and what is not right. And in fact, notice uh, at the end of chapter 7 how how the the crowd responded to the sermon. It says in chapter 7, verse 28, when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. So what stood out to the crowd? The authority with which Jesus taught. He was teaching them truth. So so I think we all can agree, hopefully pretty easily, that Jesus is not saying truth and morality are relative. I think as well we need to emphasize that Jesus is not teaching that Christians should never identify and confront sin. Now we know this because in the following verses, Jesus commands us to make lots of judgments. So look at what he says in verse 6. He says in verse 6, "...do not give what is holy to dogs." And do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, now that's kind of a confusing verse, all right? And and we're going to have, your your minds are going to be spinning next week when we get to this one. But but for today, the the basic truth, you know, what I want you to see is, is that you can't obey this verse unless you identify who are the hogs and who are the dogs. You've got to identify them. Notice what he says in verse 15. He says, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. So so it's your job as a Christian to identify a false prophet. And how do you identify the false prophet? Well, he says in verse 16, you will know them by their fruits. That sounds a lot like judgment, right? 
Like that you've got to look at their life, critique their life based on the standard of God's Word, and draw a conclusion about if this is someone I should trust or someone I shouldn't trust. So, so Jesus teaches us that we need to examine the teaching and testimony of people who claim to speak on God's behalf and, and judge who is right and who is wrong based on the authority of Scripture. Now, now you might say, well, that's fair, Pastor. Like, we, we need to judge people outside the church. But nobody in the church better ever touch me at all. And that's where a lot of Christians probably want to draw the line. But, but you know, if, if, if you think of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul calls the church there. They've got a, they've got a man who's in the congregation of the church who's living in open rebellion against God, and God says that they are to discipline them. And notice what he says in verses 12 and 13. He says, For what business of mine is it to judge outsiders? Speaking there of of unbelievers that are not a part of the church. But, But then he says, Do you not judge those who are within the church? Speaking of believers. But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the evil person from among yourselves. So God says pretty clearly there that we are responsible to to judge those who are within the church. And and that as Christians, it is our job to submit to the judgment of of fellow believers in the context of of the church. Now, Now, we're going to talk later on about the fact that there is a right and a wrong way to do that. Okay, And that's really important. But, But the American church... You know, again, in our society where, where, where we are very individualistic and, and we demand complete autonomy and privacy, and we need to feel the force of that. That, that Paul says it is our job in, in a right sense to judge those who are within the context of the body. So in sum, Matthew 7 verse 1 cannot be forbidding all judgment or all confrontation. All right, but if that's true... Well, what does Jesus mean? And so, first of all, I believe that Jesus is confronting a self-righteous elitism. Now, now like any verse of the Bible, you you have to understand this one in context. And I think chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, are are especially helpful for understanding what Jesus means. So so remember from a few weeks ago uh, that that in verses 1 through 18 of chapter 6, Jesus uh, confronts the hypocrites for, uh, for turning, giving, praying, and fasting from, from genuine acts of godliness into a way of making a selfish show. And so they were doing these things as a way to assert their superiority to others and to look down their nose at, at other people. And notice that chapter 7, verse 5, again repeats the key word from chapter 6. Hypocrites. So, so Jesus is again going after this self-righteous kind of elitist attitude that, that thinks I'm better than everyone else. And, and keep your place here, but, but turn over uh, to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Because Jesus here gives us a, a fuller window in, into this spirit this arrogance that that he is confronting in our text. So Luke chapter 18, this is a familiar parable 
that he tells in verses 9 through 14. It says, And he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. That word contempt is really good. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying like this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So the Pharisee in this parable, I mean, he is the epitome of the spirit, the attitude that that Jesus is confronting in our text. And he thinks that he is something special. He thinks that he is God's gift to humanity and, and probably God's gift to God. And he's looking down his nose at this tax collector as if he is far below him. But of course, Jesus says he's not impressed at all. Christ is nauseated by by, by this man's arrogance, his, his elitism. And our text is confronting that same arrogant spirit. That, that we must not have this attitude. That I'm better, I'm righteous, I've got it all figured out, and that allows me to critique everyone else. And, and folks, we all need to watch for that same attitude in our hearts. Because the reality is, is that we are all good at finding something even if it really is not that significant. We are all good at finding something that we think makes me better than everyone else. And then we use that thing that we think makes us better, and we use it to look down our noses at people with a snobbish, elitist attitude that I'm better. But Jesus is not impressed. He loves the person who is overwhelmed with his sin, not with how great and glorious he thinks he is. So Jesus condemns that self-righteous elitism, and, and as a result of that, he condemns a cynical judgmentalism. And you see that so clearly in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? That this Pharisee, I mean, he is not reasonably evaluating this tax collector. He probably doesn't even know him. He just looks at him, he recognizes he's a tax collector, and immediately he assumes, well, I'm better than that guy. I'm a Pharisee. He's a tax collector. And so the Pharisee here, you know, it's not that the, the problem is not that he makes a judgment. The, the issue is, is that he does not make a fair, gracious judgment of this man. He, he doesn't judge him from, from a standpoint of love and, and humility and grace. No, he is proud. And he only sees the worst in that guy. So, so we'll look at one more passage. Again, keep your finger in our text, but turn over to Romans chapter 14. Now, this is where Gary was this morning, uh, but, but Romans chapter 14, and, and I want to read verses 1 through 4. In the context uh, here of these verses it is that you had a divide in the church but between Jews and Gentiles, and so the, the Jewish Christians in the church were really struggling to move past the Jewish food laws. So, so they uh, were stuck on the fact that, that God had told Israel not to eat unkosher foods. 
And, and so they, they, they were not eating the, the, the broader things. They didn't eat pork and all those other things. And, and they were also looking down their noses at the Gentiles for doing so. They thought that their food diet was, was made them better. And the, and the Gentiles looked at the Jews and thought, you, know, you guys, you're just a bunch of stiff necks. You know, why don't you get with the program? And so there was this divide over this issue of, of, of whether or not we are allowed to eat uh, things, that, that, uh, that whether or not the Jewish food laws still apply. And, and notice what, what Paul says about judgment in verses 1 through 4. He says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So, so this text is so helpful for thinking about our relationships in the church. You know, that sometimes we are going to arrive at different conclusions about things that, that ultimately are not a matter of, of wickedness and righteousness. They're both okay. But, but when that happens, we have to be very careful that our differences don't spiral into a cynical, harsh, judgmental spirit towards other people. No, we have to assume the best of each other, not the worst. And, and Paul says that we need to leave judgment with God. Let him be the one who judges that individual. And folks, that's very important because when we differ over non-essentials, it is very easy for us to, to, to prop up my stance by tearing down everyone else, right? You know, so, so if Joe really loved Jesus, he would think like me. But he doesn't think like me. So he must not love God. You know, and we do that. Sometimes we do that. You know, we might say something like that to our kids. You know, to prop up our position over someone else's position. And so those types of things happen. And the reality is, is that you might be right. You might be right that his position is, is coming from an ungodly heart. But you don't necessarily know that. And so both Paul and Jesus warned that we must be cautious about drawing harsh conclusions and taking judgments into our own hands as if I am the judge and jury of everyone. And why is it that we need to be cautious about this sort of cynical judgmentalism? Well, well the warning he, fall, he falls with, a warning he says, uh, going back to Matthew chapter 7, he says, do not judge why. He says, so that you may not be judged. And so he follows here with two sober truths about, uh, about our, why we need to be careful. And the first is, is that God will judge you. And I'll add from Romans chapter 14 that he will also judge your brother. So, so judgment is not my responsibility. It's God's responsibility. And, and it's important to clarify, now it's important to clarify here, that Jesus is talking ultimately here about the judgment seat of Christ where he will judge Christians. So, so, so the context here is not you know, judging unbelievers, and we know that because he says in verse 3, or he talks in verse 3 about taking the speck out of your brother's eye. 
right? So, so, so he's thinking here within the context of his disciples, which for us would be the church. And, and so Jesus warns disciples like us that it is very easy for us to see ourselves as superior to each other. We think, well, I've, I've got it together. I've really got it together. And we think that it's our job because we're so smart and we have it together to judge everyone else. And so we start looking down our noses at people with this harsh, cynical, self-exalting attitude. And it feels good because we convince ourselves in our minds that I am so much better than all these other people. But I have to remember when I'm tempted to judge that God is going to judge me. And 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive compensation for his deeds done through the body in accordance with what he has done, whether good or bad. So when you begin to see yourself as everyone else's judge and you begin to see yourself as superior, just remember that your day is coming. And someday you're going to have to give an account of your life to God. And remember that he's God, not you. And adding to the weight of of this is a second warning that follows in verse 2, which is that how you judge others will affect God's judgment of you. And look at what Jesus says in verse 2. He says, for in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, now that verse uh, might sound a little confusing, so, so we need to understand it within the context of the Sermon on the Mount. So, So look at what Jesus already said in chapter 5, verse 7. Chapter 5, verse 7, this is one of the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So so what's Jesus say there? He says that if you are merciful to other people, God will show mercy to you. All right? That's an important compliment. And and look at what he says in chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. He says, for if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. So once again, Jesus says that if you are gracious to other people, if you are merciful, God will be merciful to you. But, he warns, if you are unmerciful, then God will not show you mercy. And then he comes back in chapter 7 and verse 2 and says, that if you are harsh and critical towards other people, God will hold you to a higher standard. You will be judged by the same standard that you use towards other people. Now, I want to emphasize, that's a strong statement. I want to emphasize that Jesus is not saying that I earn my place in heaven by being merciful or forgiving. Or he's not saying that you can lose your salvation by, by not being merciful and by being judgmental. My only hope of salvation is in Christ, as we sang about this morning. But these verses clearly teach that in the context of the judgment seat of Christ, which is for Christians, that how I treat others will affect the way God judges me. And so, if you're not, you might think that, well, that can't be true, Pastor. I mean, isn't God going to judge everyone by the same exact standard? Well, look at what James chapter 3, verse 1 says. He says to pastors and people that aspire to pastoring and teaching, Do not become teachers in large numbers, my brothers, since you know that we who are teachers 
will incur a stricter judgment. So, so I'm going to be held to a standard at the judgment seat of Christ that is different from, from many of you because I have taken on a different responsibility. And, and folks, God is saying, I mean, God is clear in Scripture that, that not everyone is going to be held to the same standard. To whom much is given, more will be required. So in light of that, chapter 7, verse 2 calls for some serious self-reflection. Are you someone who is full of mercy in how you judge other people? Are you someone that assumes the best of people? Or someone who assumes the worst? And do you consistently make unfounded assumptions about people and, and just say, well, God made me a prophet? God has given me the gift of judgment, and I can read people like no one else can? And you just walk around looking down people's nose, looking down your nose at people? And, and, and if you think that way, Jesus here is giving you a stern warning. Now, now let me add this too, you know, that, that you might think, well, well, well Pastor, I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm a pretty loose guy. You know, I, I'm not real strict. You know, it's the really strict conservative people that do all the judging. And that's bogus. I mean, open up the New York Times or the LA Times or any other me, you know, liberal media outlet, and they're looking down their noses at people all the time. You know, I've heard Christians, those legalists over there, and they're doing the exact same thing. I mean, they are, they are looking down their nose at people based on a standard that they have created. And so, if you see judgmentalism in your heart, understand that it is a serious sin. And if you are judgmental towards people, Jesus says God will hold you to a higher standard someday. Now, I don't know about you, but I want Jesus to be as merciful to me as possible. I, I need lots of mercy when I stand before the judgment someday. And, and, so I, and you do too. So, so let's be a people who are marked by mercy. Show others the grace that you want God to show you when you stand before him. And, and then the second major challenge of the text is correct yourself before correcting others. So verses 3 through 5 say... Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, now in these verses, Jesus tells a ridiculous story, all right, that unfortunately pretty accurately sums up how we oftentimes live. So, so notice, first of all, in this text, the delusion of self-righteousness. So, so these verses picture two men, all right? And, and both of them have a problem, right? So the first guy, he has a speck in his eye. And, and that word for speck, it, it can refer to, to any sort of, of you know, irritation in your eye. It could be a piece of sawdust. It could be sand. It could be a piece of chaff, something like that. And, and so you get these things in your eye. And, and we all know from experience that's irritating, Right? You got something in your eye, and, and your eye's red, and it hurts, and it begins to water because it's trying to flush out whatever it is in your eye. And you ever had that happen in public? You know, and, and people are like, are you okay? Are you crying? And You know, they think something's really wrong. You're like, no, I just got a piece of sand in my eye. And, and so it's frustrating. It, it hurts. But, you know, and that's a fairly common problem. But, but the second person's issue is absurd. 
right? He has a log in his eye. And, and by the way, the word that's translated log here doesn't refer to just a little stick. It's, it's a word that typically refers to a large beam. So just imagine what it would be like if you had a beam sticking out your eye. Now, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just play with you a little bit here today, so you know, maybe help to stick in your mind. So, so just imagine, you know, this, is, this is not a beam, all right? John Deere, nothing runs like a deer, all right? So, so this is not a beam, but this is the biggest thing I could put in the pulpit. So you know, let's say that I'm walking around and I got a beam sticking out my eye. You know, it would be a problem. Like, like every time I went to kiss my wife, I'd knock her out. You know, I, I roll over in bed, and boom, you know, there, I mean, there she goes. So, so I've got a beam in my eye, and imagine if, if next Sunday I just walked into church. You know, I'm walking around, hey, how you doing? It's good to see you. You know, and I've got a beam in my eye, and, and you're looking at me like, um, I think you've got a problem. You know, and, and, and so that would really stand out, and everyone would notice But what's so crazy is the guy in the story, he doesn't notice at all. No, instead, it says here that he believes I'm fine. Verse 3, it says, you know, he does not notice the log in his eye. Now, again, isn't that that hilarious to think about? I'm walking around with a beam in my eye, and you're looking at me strange. I'm like, what? What's wrong? I, I have no idea. And you're like, dude, you got a beam in your eye. It's absurd. But, but, but sadly, all too often, it happens just like that in the spiritual realm. I mean, everyone around, this guy that's got a beam in his eye can see very clearly that something's wrong. You know, maybe uh, you know, all you know, his habits of life have, have suddenly changed or his demeanor has changed. And people look at them and like, something's not right. Or sometimes it's obvious what's wrong. You know, sometimes a brother in Christ, a professing brother, is living in, in clear sin and rebellion against God. And, and, and a spiritual beam is sticking out this guy's eye. And everyone can see it, except him. And he's adamant. Nothing is wrong. In fact, sometimes people in that position get angry when you challenge them. Even all the while, you know, you know that they're, they're being immoral. They're embezzling money. They're addicted to drugs or alcohol. And everyone can see it. Everyone can see the beam. And he's adamant, I'm fine. Nothing's wrong. I mean, our ability to convince ourselves of lies is truly incredible. And and what's even more incredible is that this guy believes, I'm fit to correct you. And the absurdity of the the illustration only grows in verse 4. You know, so this guy has a beam in his eye, but, 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 but the passage says here, you know, that, that, that he thinks he's fit to correct. So, so imagine, you know, if I had a beam in my eye, but I walked up to Michael here, you know, and I walk up to him and I'm like, you know, Mike, I think you've got a piece of sawdust in your eye. Can I, can I fix your eye? And you're going to look at me like uh, two things. You know, first of all, you've got your own problem right? Like, you need to fix this before you worry about my speck of dust. And then secondly, you're going to think, there is no way on earth I'm letting you touch my eye until you get that thing out of your eye. And again, it's absurd, right? It's absurd. And yet, once again, I've seen this attitude over and over. 
You know, very often, the most harsh, critical people that you meet are people that are living in obvious sin themselves. And extreme judgmentalism is oftentimes a cover for sin. And it's because, again, you know, we all want to feel good about something, even if we are living wicked lives. So, so if I'm not living a genuinely righteous, godly life, then I've got to find something to make me feel better than about myself and about other people. So, so I'm going to come up with a counterfeit righteousness. You know, secularists do this all the time. They, they hold their nose high with how they're saving the planet, saving the whales, you know, uh, fixing this thing and that. But oftentimes their lives are miserable. Their families are miserable too. And professing believers do this all the time. You know, they, you know, they walk around like, I've got the right Bible. Or my dress is the right length. I'm a Calvinist. Or I'm not one of those Calvinists. I am an Arminian. Or, or it could be all sorts of other things. I, you know, I've got this and I, I do this ministry for God. And, and we've got this one little thing that we hold on to that we think makes us better than everyone else around us. But so often the people that want to shout the loudest about their little thing that makes them better are the people who have a beam in their eye. They never go to church. They're not invested in other people. And sometimes they're living in blatant rebellion against God. And verse 5 calls them hypocrites. But, but even while they've got a beam sticking out their eye, they claim that they are fit to do eye surgery on someone else. They think it's their job to, to be a prophet, to be a judge. Put everyone else in their place. And again, our tendency to self-delusion is incredible. Yeah, and that's one reason why significant relationships in the church are so valuable. Because our hearts are so deceitful that we can have a beam sticking out our eye and think we're okay. And that's why we need brothers and sisters in Christ who can come along and say, hey buddy, we've got some stuff to work on here. And so, so, so how do we fix it then? So what is the answer to all of this? Well, well, Jesus gives the answer in verse 5. He says, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So to put it simply, the fundamental answer to this self-righteousness and judgmentalism is that I must humbly learn to be more critical of myself than I am of other people. I mean, I must make sure that if I'm going to put, I, I put the magnifying glass on me before I put it on others. So there's a conflict in your relationships. There's a conflict in your marriage. Rather than immediately turning to all that your spouse is doing wrong, you, you first are, are critical of yourself. And you want to ask, what am I doing versus what's everyone else doing? And when you, listen to the, when you read your Bible or you listen to preaching, you know, the focus should always be me before it is on everyone else. You know, which, by the way, means that it would be pretty ironic if you've spent the last 40 minutes thinking about all those judgmental people out there that ought to be hearing the sermon. Right? Like you're doing the very thing that Jesus told you not to do. And so godliness demands that I am my own worst critic. No one should be harder on Kit than Kit. But, but recognizing my faults is only the beginning. 
mean, once I recognize my fault, I have to run to the cross and, 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 and rest in the forgiveness that God offers and the hope that Jesus gives. And then in the strength that God gives, Jesus says, take the log out of your eye. So, you know, so don't despair. You know, don't wallow in self-misery and sorrow. There is hope. There is power for change in the gospel. So, so take the log out. Strive to, to be godly and to change. And then notice that as you engage in that process of, of taking the, the log out of your own eye, Jesus says that you become equipped to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, now folks, that is a really important part of this passage that we cannot miss. You know, that Jesus is not teaching in this text that the answer to judgmentalism is no judgment at all, right? No, instead, he says, take the beam out and make sure that you are equipped and then help your brother with what his problem is. And so we need to to look out for each other and we need to care for each other. I think a good complement to this text is Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2, where, where, where Paul says, if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you are not tempted as well. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Now those verses, again, are such a good complement to our text because they call us to correct each other, right? But, but they teach us that we need to do so from a position of humility where, where I recognize that I'm a sinner. You know, I'm not looking down my nose at this guy for his sin. I am considering myself, even as I am trying to help this brother in Christ. So, so I'm not correcting him, you know, from, from a position of superiority. And I've got everything figured it out. And you should be so thankful that I'm here to fix your problems. You know, there is a grace and a humility that, that this person brings to the place of confrontation and the place of helping his brother in Christ. And, and Paul says that when we do it right, loving, uh, loving correction is the heart of godliness. I mean, what's he say? He says, when you bear one another's burdens by, by doing this sort of thing, you fulfill the law of Christ. You're, you're not being a jerk. You're not being wrongly critical. You know, when you are walking with Christ and you notice, you know, so-and-so, something's not right. And you just come alongside and lovingly say, you know, I see these things and I'm concerned. And Paul says that is at the essence of the Spirit of Christ. So, so to sum it all up, this passage challenges us to judge each other, but to do so with the grace that we want God to show us and with the humility that is very aware of my own sin. And folks, what we've talked about today really is vital to to the health of our church. So so let's be a people who are marked by humility and self-watch. Not a people who walk around with their noses in the air, looking down at everyone else, but a people who are keenly aware of our own sin, our own fallenness, and of our tendency to self-delusion. And then from there, let's maintain a gracious, loving spirit towards each other. You know, we're not all going to land in the same place. 
And you might look at what someone else is doing and think, ah, I wouldn't do it like that. But that doesn't mean that you then become you know, a jerk that has to just put them in their place all the time. And then from that position, though, where we are genuinely loving each other and walking in humility, let's watch out for each other and care well for each other. You know, let's not just ignore the speck in someone else's eye. Let's help them fix it because it's a problem. And folks, as we do that, we all benefit. We all benefit from that sort of community. And as we walk that way, as we love each other like Christ calls us to here, he will be glorified and the world will know that we are his disciples. Lord, thank you so much for this text and thank you for the call that it gives for us to walk in humility and grace and love towards each other. And God, I pray uh, that, uh, Lord, you would guard our hearts against the arrogant, deceitful attitude that Jesus confronts. And, and Father, um, I pray that you would show us the beams in our own eyes as well as the specks in our own eyes. And Father, I pray that, that we would be gracious to each other, but that, Lord, and we would walk in humility towards each other, and that you would use us to help each other on to glory. And so I, I pray, Lord, uh, that we would all embrace this, not just the pastors or the deacons, but that every one of us would embrace the spirit of this text that is so crucial to our spiritual health. And Father, I pray that we would walk in humility, that we would glorify you, and that we would care well for one another. In Christ's name, amen.